Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Under, Golf Pride, Srixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball. Sun Mountain Golf Bags. Finn Scooters, making the game more fun. Idell Golf. Hit it, flip it, dial it in. And the Mclemore Club Experience, live above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. There's a lot of exciting things going on around the show, folks. Last week, I was notified that the show is being recognized with two awards for excellence from the Communicator Awards. The first is for individual episodes in sports, and the second is, and I'm humbled to say this, for hosts. So I am super grateful to all of you for your support and to my guests who make the show So much fun every week. They're the real stars of the show. I'm also grateful to you for voting the show up to number five in the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list for the month of May. Our show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, is right there behind it at number six. So a lot of great things happening, and none of it would be happening if it wasn't for your tremendous support. So again, thank you all so very much for going out to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50 and voting for the show. You can do so every day, and I appreciate that, like I say, so very much. And to the Communicator Awards for your recognition of the show. I appreciate it all more than words can say. Okay, on to tonight's show. My first guest is one of my all-time favorites, and that's Bill Bergen. As you hear me say at the top of the show every week, he co-designed the Macklemore with our friend Reese Jones. He's also designed or renovated over 70 courses around the world. I'm a huge fan of his work. Tonight, I'm going to be looking forward to picking his brain about the Macklemore. I need an edge over my buddies as we head there a little bit later this week for our annual golf trip. We'll also talk about some of his renovation projects like Oaks Country Club out in Tulsa. And Tulsa is the host city this week for the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. Oaks Country Club is a Tillinghouse original design that Bill restored. So we have a lot to get into tonight with Bill. Excited to have him back as part of the show. He'll join me in just a few minutes. And then we'll round out this week's show with a return visit from one of the top instructors in the game, Kevin Roman. Kevin was a 2014 Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year. He was also the head of instruction for many years out at Monterey Peninsula Country Club, which is right there next to Pebble Beach. I'll talk with Kevin about how to choose the right wedge setup for our games. We'll talk some technique and how to hit those wedges closer to the hole, whether it's a full wedge shot or we're just chipping around the green. Kevin is also out there trying to qualify for the U.S. Senior Open, so we'll hear how that's going. Looking forward to having him back as part of the show. He'll join me about 20 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are headed your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. But before we get started, I want to remind you again about our friends over at the Macklemore. Like I say, My buddies and I are headed there in a couple of days for our annual golf trip. Went there last year, and it was so amazing. We're excited and can't wait to get there again this year. Everything about the place is first class. The accommodations they set you up with are great. The practice facility is wonderful. The on-premise restaurant called The Craig has outstanding food and service. And the course lived up to every great expectation that we had for it. Can't say enough great things about it, folks. Go online to themaclemore.com to see how spectacular the place is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by my guests tonight, Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend and PGA Tour caddy, Kip Henley, said, outside of Pebble Beach, 
It's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000, and Lynx Magazine doubled down on that, naming it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See why we're all saying so many great things about it by checking out the course and the resort online at themaclemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade. Golf is an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made the all-new Stealth Iron. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cap-back design and a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance through the bag and more forgiveness on those occasional, or maybe not so occasional, less than perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade. Beyond Driven. All right, now back, and I'm honored to say this, for the 10th time, is one of the top golf course designers on the planet, and that's Bill Bergen. Let me remind you about Bill's background. Played his college golf at Auburn University from 1978 to 1981, where he was named first team All-SEC every year, and he helped Auburn win the 1981 SEC championship. His 65 during the 1979 Pan American Tournament still ranked as one of the lowest 18-hole scores in Auburn golf history. He's played in over 250 professional tournaments worldwide, including three U.S. Opens, two Open Championships, and at least 50 PGA Tour events. After his playing career, he started Bergen Golf Designs, and he has designed or renovated courses all over the world. Bill has been involved in over 70 golf course design projects. In 2017, he was named one of the top 10 most innovative people in golf. You've heard me talk about the recognition that the 18th hole at McLemore has received for being one of the top finishing holes and all of golf, but the course received an award for excellence in golf design by the American Society of Golf Course Architects in 2020. You can see Bill's work by going online to bergengolf.com. I'm excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bill, how are you, my friend? Chris, I'm excellent, and I'm so excited that you guys are headed, heading up there this weekend. It should be a fantastic time. Yeah, I tell you what, we are tickled pink in various other colors. Can't wait to get back up there. Of course, it's fantastic. Um, I, I got to ask you, Bill, I need a little insider information because last year I didn't, I didn't take the trophy home. So I need a little strategy. I need a little help for how to get a little edge on my buddies. What, what is something besides don't hit it left on 18 that I need to keep in mind this year? Well, so I'm going to give you a little introduction on some things that are fun to do up there first, and then I'll give you a little guide on the golf course. So you might have to twist an arm or two, but we just built a Himalayas putting green that's 20,000 square feet of all types of contours, dips and doodles and twists and turns and umps. That is really going to be a lot of fun. It's scheduled to open June 1st. But you might have to ask for a taste of uh, right. something you can talk about on your on your show. And then, you know, the clubhouse area has, you know, it went from we didn't have one to something that is really, really special. You mentioned the Craig, the restaurant. Food is great, but the setting is unbelievable. It's such a cool place to sit outside and enjoy a meal or a drink and look over our short course, look over the 18th hole. So the short course might be what you need to warm up on before you go out, even even um, before you go up to the driving range. Go play the short course, six holes. You can do it in about half an hour, and it is a really great warm-up. Plus, it's a good good spot to um, start the betting off with your friends and even uh, maybe <laughs> recover, uh, recover a few dollars at the end of the round. It's also good for that. So um, – the area, you know, we've created more fun things to do around the clubhouse. And, you know, we're a resort, and we've got a hotel that's under construction, and not every single person that visits that hotel will be an avid golfer. So we really love the short course in the Himalayas because it gives you a taste of golf without necessarily having to dive right in on, you know, with the full golf course. So it's, it's really cool. Now, over to the golf course. You know the 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 uh, second hole is tough. You can yes. be conservative. It's probably it's probably the hardest hole on the golf course. Some people it's their favorite. And the interesting thing about Macklemore is the more people you pull, the more variety of favorite holes you get. 
it, it's it's a it's a very diverse golf course. It's on diverse property, uh, some extreme terrain in some ways, but that's that's part of the cool stuff. And it's just a it's just a course that has a, a, people have a lot of different favorites. So number two is definitely the hardest hole. So don't you don't necessarily have to be really aggressive with it. But um, if you make par there, you've done it's an accomplishment. You'll need to call me and let me know because it is <laughs> truly a, a challenging hole. But three and four are good birdie opportunities. So so think of those as, as scoring chances. And then we have the infamous sixth hole, which is a par five that plays out to a a top of a ridge and then drops about 150 feet down into the second landing area in the greens complex. So eminently reachable. It's the kind of hole that yields threes or eagles. And seven for double bogeys and and everything in between. A very volatile golf hole. Some people's favorite. Some people, not so much. All depends on what score you have when you finish that hole. But it, it's an exciting <laughs> hole. And and my tip is hit it left off the tee. Left, left, left. In fact, we combined fairways with number nine. And we did that on purpose because, you know, it's a rocky site. And it's, um, there's rock under the ground there. And, and the further left go, the better view you have of the green complex. So when you hit it down the right side, it's a bit shorter, but you can't tell where to go. But if you hit it down the left side, it's slightly longer, but you can see the green. And so that's that's my tip. The rest of the golf course is really pretty straightforward. Um, you, you know, it is, you see what, you, you, what you're going to get. Uh, 17's a great birdie opportunity, one of my favorite holes. It's just one of those that just sort of falls down, slightly downhill for what looks like miles, looks like 600 yards, but it's actually a reachable par five, uh, a really great scoring opportunity before you get to the to the 18th. And the 18th keeps getting more and more attention, which is exciting for us. So um, I, I you, you mentioned Lynx Magazine that picked it as, um, as one of the top 10 holes in the world. Uh, it's very generous of them and very exciting for us. So um, it is a, a totally unique hole. Um, it sits on terrain that you really didn't think you could build a golf hole on, and that's part of the magic. And um, when you come down the hill uh, and you are exposed to the 18th, it is a wow moment. Uh, no matter what somebody describes to you or how many photographs you've seen, once you see it in person, it just has this scale that just just kind of blows you away. Bill, I want to talk about that second hole. Because last year, I just couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out what to hit off the tee. I either drove it into the water or I drove it way right. Give me some help. What What is the right club to take off that tee? What's a good strategy to play it successfully? If I'm not on the back tee, I'll hit a three-wood um, down there, sort of sort of right center. Um, you most likely, it stays out of the lake if I pull it. Um, and then it's a good, solid seven iron into the green. Um, but it, 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 the thing is, the second shot just, just has – the green's relatively large, but it sits at a slight angle. And there's – you know, the hazard down the right side causes a lot of players to pull the ball. Well, if you pull it, there's a bunker over on the left that you, you really actually do want to be in if you pull it um, because there's also trees to the left. So your, your miss is left because psychologically you don't want to miss it to the right. But it does take a – you know, a trusted golf swing on the second shot. Again, it's not, you know, if you watch somebody play it and execute properly, you go, well, that didn't look very hard. But day in and day out, I think it's our our most challenging hole in the golf course. I agree with that. Bill, on the McLemore's website, the tagline is, live life above the clouds. And I've seen pictures when the 18th hole is literally looking down on the clouds. Talk about the elevation of the golf course. Yeah, so it sits about 2,100 feet, which is absolutely fabulous, especially being in the southeast. And so what happens as you rise up every 1,000 feet or so, you you tend to get about 5 degrees cooler. And so, you know, Highlands is a very nice spot in the summertime because it's cool. Well, Macklemore is not as high as Highlands, but it definitely has its own microclimate. And it, it it's, a, it's a, a lovely place to be. You, it changes all the time. Some days you are above, literally above the clouds. Every day you're above the, the birds that are soaring um, above Macklemore Cove. And it's amazing. You sit out on the, at the clubhouse or on 18 and you look out and you're looking down and you see, you know, you see hawks or e- even eagles. And they're 
soaring around, but they're below you. And that's kind of this unusual um, – you just don't see that very often. And so it's a really cool spot. The other thing is the sunrise on the 18th hole are just phenomenal. I mean, they are breathtaking. Uh, this week I was up, I guess, last Friday, and um, Dwayne showed me a picture of just this morning sky. It was the, the – you know, red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. Well, it was a gorgeous day, and it was incredible, the the colors that we see uh, looking east in the morning at Macklemore. And from the clubhouse area, from the 18th hole, from the new Himalayas or the shore course, it is just stunning. Bill, I've said to you before, there needs to be a Bergen Trail through northwest Georgia and eastern Tennessee, similar to what we see over in Alabama with the Robert Trent Jones Trail. Remind our listeners about the Bergen Design courses that if we headed north up I-75 from Atlanta towards Tennessee, that we could play. Yeah, so, you know, we work mostly in the south, and you can't take an interstate um, going in any direction where you can't run into one of our golf courses pretty quickly. Um, when we Today we were in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we probably passed, Six of our courses on the way to Knoxville, um, wow. you know, and, and, and if you give us a little, another hour, we'd probably be 10. Um, and so it, it, you know, it's, and, and we work all over, all over the South, but uh, whether you're going out I-20 or, or going South right now, we're about to redo Valdosta Country Club down in South Georgia, which is one of the, you know, uh, founding member clubs in the state of Georgia for the Georgia State Golf Association. And um, that's kind of exciting. I love working on historical renovations. And so Valdosta is a very exciting course for us um, and looking forward to get starting with that one. And then we actually have three what I would call new golf courses, Chris. So not just in the renovation business, but actually new courses. Now you're going to laugh because two of those are being are completely brand new golf courses that are being built on top of an existing golf course. So I guess you could call that a renovation. <laughs> <laughs> but they're brand new, and we're moving the clubhouse. On one of them, we're moving the clubhouse. We rerouted it completely. We're not leaving anything. On the other one, the clubhouse stays the same, but we're not leaving anything. It's a brand new golf course. Uh, one of those is down at Auburn, which is the public course, Indian Pines, um, and really, really excited about that. And then we're doing one of those at the Audubon Golf Course in Memphis, Tennessee, on an incredibly good site. Uh, and a really exciting project. And what I love about those, I work mostly in the private club market, but what I love about these two projects is they're going to be affordable, they're going to be fun, but they're going to be smart golf courses. You're go I don't care how good you are, you're going to want to play these golf courses because intellectually they're going to challenge you, but if you're a brand-new golfer, they're going to be totally playable. And as an architect, that's a quite a challenge and one that I totally embrace. And so really excited about making golf that's really fun and yet sneaky guard. Um, and that, they, you know, in, 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 in Memphis, they want to host, you know, the Tennessee State Amateur on this golf course. And the University of Memphis will play, will play out there. And, it's, you know, and then, but, but the general public play there every day. And so it's really an exciting thing for us to, to build these new, new golf courses, yet make them really playable for everybody. Bill, I want to go back to one of the first ones you mentioned down in Valdosta, Georgia, because when we talk about Valdosta, immediately coming to mind isn't great golf, but there is great golf down there, and we've got one of the most historic courses in our state there. Talk about the work you're doing there and how great it's going to be. Well, we're it's, so we're getting started. Um, you know, we're we're almost finished with plans now, and so we will start construction probably January 3rd on that project. Uh, and, and Valdosta Country Club is a historic golf course. It's been around a long time, um, and has, it, it's an important course in the, in the history of our, our state. Um, Davis has done a nice – Davis loved a nice course down in Valdosta area called Kinderloo, and they play uh, the West – the Corn Ferry Tour on it. And so – but Valdosta is a, a great spot. Uh, we have a really good site, and, again, we all will be returning this golf course to that 1920s historic, you know, uh, plastic uh, golden age of architecture type golf course. So it's, that, that's going to be going to be a lot of fun. Bill, you did some work over at Oaks Country Club out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
It's a Tillinghast original design. The course celebrated its 100th anniversary last year. Talk about the work you did there. Yeah, so the Oaks is a really beautiful old golf course that Tillinghast did, um, like you said, in 1922, I believe. And it's right down the road from Southern Hills, so it's not far away. Um, and it's on a beautiful piece of property. And we went in there in 2015 and redid it. Golf Digest picked it the fourth best redo in America that year, so we are pretty pleased with that result. But more importantly, the club has just thrived since that renovation. Um, They're really successful, full membership, waiting list to join, um, lots of great things. Uh, an interesting golf course in that when I, you know, a lot of the historic courses that we work on have already been renovated so many times that the historical features are gone. And the Oaks was exactly that type of golf course, although the routing didn't change. And you could tell how well um, Tilly laid the golf course on the property. And that, that did not change. Uh, we did have to move some tee boxes to restore some of those cool features that he, that he worked with because guys hit it so much farther today. But but the landing areas and greens complexes were all in the right spot, and and that was that was exciting. But we went in and you know took this golf course that had been previously renovated, and we did not have original plans. We had some photographs, but interestingly enough, the greens plans from the previous renovation actually had the Tilly contours in their base contours, not on what they did, but what was there before that. And so I took those green plans, I ignored what they became, and I looked at all of the contours from before they started and was able to take those contours as the inspiration for what I was doing. Now, you have to know, and you're going to see this this week at Southern Hills, greens back in the 20s were probably running seven at the most, and so they had a lot more contour than they do today. And Southern Hills gets really edgy. In fact, I've been following it and paying attention to what people have been saying, and I don't think they're going to run the speeds on those putting surfaces at Southern Hills as fast as they sometimes do because it limits hole locations and some of the greens become, you know, possibly unfair. And Southern Hills, the 9th and 18th, have that reputation and have had it for a long time. So it'll be really cool to see what Gil Hans did out there and, and how that course plays for the tournament. I think you've got so many guys playing well coming into it. Tigers ready to go. Obviously, JT and Spieth and Rom and Scotty Scheffler, and the list goes on. So many great young players that it's really exciting, and I'm expecting a superb PGA championship. I think this one will be one. That that really, uh, I just have a good feeling about it. I think it's going to be one that that is uh, historic and exciting. Uh, so so very excited about that. But back to the Oaks, you know, we took those contours, we used those as our inspiration. We softened them a bit, you know, for today's speed because we want to better run run the greens at 12, no problem. Um, and it's a terrific golf course. It's one that you want to be off to a good start through the first seven holes, and then you put on your seatbelt because you might not make another birdie after that. Tough course <laughs> from uh, from number eight to the house. It's tough. Bill, I read that you used aerial photos from the 1950s to help you with renovating that course. How did that help you get the course back to where you wanted it to be? Yeah, so when we go on any project, we are scouring the clubhouse, we're asking the membership, we're we're always looking for anything historic on the property. I've got a map in front of me right now of Chattanooga Golf and Country Club, and it's a current map, but when we did that golf course, we were able to find, you know, photos from probably the 30s, uh, so it was Ross untouched at that time. Um, out at the Oaks, I, we could have been slightly even older than the 50s. I actually can't remember, but old black and white photos. And we definitely, um, definitely used those to um, to help us uh, with knowing how we wanted bunkers to lay and, and what we wanted to do with the project. It just gives you a – you're always gathering as much information so you can honor the original design of the golf course. Bill, you've done a number of Tillinghast renovations. Talk about getting familiar with him, how you got familiar with what the layout and the contour should look like, 
and then go back and restoring it to the way it was? Yeah, so, we, you know, I do do my research as far as um, both, you know, online today, you can get all kinds of information. But I also have, I have, you know, The Course Beautiful, which is his book, which which the photographs in those in the in that book are original. So you get to see exactly what's what. And one of the inspiration um, that I used for the Oaks was actually Baltusrol. And I used it because I played the U.S. Open there. So I had a personal tie to Baltusrol. And then, you know, I liked the the style of bunkering. Tillinghast did not have an identifiable style. He had some certain things that he did, a great hazard. He did certain things that he repeated. But he was more diverse than most architects as far as what his courses looked like. And so, which I give him great credit for that. And um, but but you know, you do your research, and you can go online right now, and you can find tons of photographs of Tillinghast's work. The problem is most of the pictures you're seeing are current, and so they're of courses that have already been been redone. So finding historic photos is a little bit more challenged, but it's possible. Um, so it, you know, it, there's a lot of resources out there today that I'm sure architects did not have in the past. And so we make use, you know, of every bit of information we can gather whenever we're working on a project. Bill, just a couple more before I let you go. And another one of your renovations that I'm dying to go see is Waterfall Club over in Clayton, Georgia. Talk about that course. Yeah, so Waterfall, I really just fine-tuned the golf course. So, um, you know, it was a it was a course that's on a on an incredibly um, mountainous sort of property, difficult for the original architect Scott Poole to build, but he managed to get it in there. And then it was it was a hard golf course, very hard. And so um, we were tasked with making it more playable. And so we went in there and we redid all the bunkers. We did redid areas around green complexes and in doing the bunkers. The depths on the original bunkers, I joke, but they could have averaged eight feet deep. There were five bunkers that were 13 feet deep, which is incredible when you think about that bunker, hitting that bunker shot. And no golf course has the clientele capable of doing that. But at Waterfall, people are going for relaxation and vacation or second homes or, or just to get away. And they certainly don't want to be beat up by their golf course. So, uh, we adjusted all the bunker depths and, and, and made the golf course more playable around the greens. I like to say it this way. I tend to, to build hard golf courses, but I also make, make it so that players can hit less than perfect golf shots and still have fun. And so we, we kind of pay attention both ends. Uh, you know, our courses get harder for the best players, and they are definitely more playable and more fun, more fair for high handicap. So we pay attention to your skill level, whether you're a beginner or not very skilled or whether you're, as, as, you know, the best player at the club. So we pay attention to both. And then recently we just uh, converted all the fairways from Bankgrass to Zoysia. And that was a good move. While it sounds really good to have Bankgrass fairways at Waterfall, it was at 2,100 feet above sea level and, quite honestly, too hot July and August at Bankgrass. And so they had soft squishy, thatchy, bent grass fairways up there for years, people would lose golf balls in the fairway, literally plug and lost ball right down the middle of the fairway. So now we've gone in and over a couple projects, we've converted all the fairways to Zoysia, which will handle the cool weather and the warm weather beautifully up there. And so um, they've really, really uh, upgraded the golf course tremendously over the last two or three years. Um, and it is a beautiful place. The views out there are phenomenal, and everybody enjoys Lake Burton as well. Bill, I want to go back to your playing days, and we've talked a little bit about this in some of your previous appearances. But you finished 14th at the Open Championship in 1984. It was played that year at St. Andrews. The Open is back there this year for the 150th anniversary of the tournament. You shot a third round 66 in that 84 Open. That was tied with Tom Watson and Sam Torrance for the round of the week. Take us through what it was like being a part of an open championship, particularly at St. Andrews. Who, baby. So that was, um, I'd say, you know, my golf career, I played six years professionally and obviously four years in college. And I was, my career was full of moments. 
rather than being a really good player, I just had some really nice moments. And that might be at the top of the list, partially because it's St. Andrews. Um, and secondly, you know, the 66 was equally the best round of the whole week. So nobody shot better than that. So that's pretty exciting for one day to have been at a, an elite level. And I did play with Fowler the final round, so I got a good taste of what real golf was all about, uh, even if it was a snippet. Um, but the most interesting thing to me was I qualified for the tournament. I went over and qualified and, and was playing really well. I finished second in a in a uh, TPS tour, which is, if you think of the Corn Ferry Tour, that's what that was back in 1984. And I finished second a couple weeks before that and, and had the money to go try to qualify, and I'd already entered. I get over there, and I play really well in the qualifier, finished second, shot a course record in the, in the second round on the on London Links, which is the nearby qualifying golf course. And so you show up on Tuesday morning of the tournament. So think about it. That's today at the PGA Championship. I'm not in the tournament till the night before. And you, you show up, and I, I go up, and I'm going to play actually with friends, which is nice. I I was able to join a few of my friends and play a practice round. And I was more nervous on the first tee shot of a practice round than I was on any shot during the tournament. I had this incredible adrenaline whatever rush that took over, and it was just the overwhelming fact that I was there at St. Andrews. And, and it's the home of golf. It's, you know, such an important place. and it really had this incredibly special positive impact that um, just ran ran right through my body, and I, I you know couldn't quite explain it, but it was it was it was very unusual, especially being in a practice round with friends. But um, it was an exciting time, and then I played you know well the first two days, and, and it, the scores will sound funny because today's world they shoot so much lower, but I shot four over. I was seventy five seventy three the first two days, made the cut on the nose, and this was back when they had it a second round cut and a third round cut, which they don't have those anymore. And so um, tee up early Saturday morning and go out to 66 and go from the cut line to the inside the top 20 in 18 holes. And um, so that was a, that was a, a quite a day. And then Sunday I played with Faldo and shot, I shot 33, 33 on Saturday. And on Sunday I shot another 33 and was all moved all the way up to about tied for fifth. Um, not anywhere near the lead, but tied for fifth. And then, uh, unfortunately, the back nine, I, I ended up two bogeys, the rest pars, shot 71 the final round, and ended up 14th. But it was definitely a highlight. You know, as an architect, looking back on that experience, I played the British or the Open Championship at St. Andrews, and I played the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. And you can't beat that. You know, there aren't many um, true architects, and I shouldn't say that that way, but you know, there's a lot of great players who are architects, but they don't do it full-time. I'm, I'm full-time, do all the grading plans, drainage plans, grassing plans, all the plans. You know, there are guys who have just done – there are many guys who have done that. Bill, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can we stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website or it's over social media? Yeah, our website's Bergen Golf, so it's easy to find. And, you know, we've got a lot going on. Uh, right now, we're we are. It's it's amazing how many projects we have. Like, like I was saying, we've got three new courses. One which will be announced in July, which you'll be very interested in, and it is on an incredible piece of property. One that just blows my mind every time I'm on it. So that that's an exciting announcement. So stay tuned. And then um, we're very active on social media. We do we do Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We're always posting pictures of our work. If you like golf course design and are interested in golf courses and interested in what it looks like in the dirt and um, how it changes over time, it's a fun follow. So, um, you know, Chris, I always appreciate being on your show. You guys are do such a nice job, and it's nice to be associated with you, and I hope you have a blast up at Macklemore. Well, Bill, I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show. You always make this segment so much fun, and we learn a lot, and I love the enthusiasm that you bring. I hope when you're ready to uh, make that announcement for the exciting thing coming up in July, you'll come back and do it here. We'll do it. Tell Kevin I said hello. I will do it. Take care, Bill. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. That is the great Bill Bergen, folks. He is just simply one of the great golf designers that we have out there and just a fabulous human being on top of all of that. 
He's been a wonderful supporter of the show, again, 10 times. How lucky are we that we've had the opportunity to pick his brain that many times? But he does great work. I'm a big fan of it. When you look at it, go online, bergengolf.com. Check out his uh, designs and the the renovations that he's done. Because when you see the images, it's going to knock your socks off. He's fantastic, and I look forward to catching up with him again real soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Kevin Roman, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Shrixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Shrixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Shrixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Shrixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Shrixon offers a wide variety of personalized options while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Shrixon. Check them out online at Shrixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the Valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is 2014 Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year, Kevin Roman. Let me remind you about Kevin's background. He was a golf pro at Cherokee Town and Country Club here in Atlanta for several years. Cherokee is one of the most prestigious clubs in Atlanta. Membership by invitation only, folks. He recently spent a few years as the Director of Instruction out at Monterey Peninsula Country Club in California, right there next to Pebble Beach. Besides being one of the top instructors in the country, Kevin is a great player. He's played in a couple of majors, including the 1993 U.S. Open at Baltus Roll and the 2009 PGA Championship at Hazeltine. He's recently moved back east to New York, and I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Kevin, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, congratulations on all your success and your high ranking. Nah, I appreciate you, Kevin. So, Kevin, it's it's been a minute since we got to have you as part of the show. Catch us up. What's been going on with you so far in 22? You know, it's it's been a wild ride the last year and a half, uh, going from Atlanta out to the West Coast, and then back all the way to the East Coast uh, four years later. Um, back home with family, which has been great. My, you know, we have granddaughter and, and my, my parents are still here. So it's, it's been a really a great year, uh, after being away for literally 18 years and barely ever coming back towards New York. Kevin, with it being PGA Championship Week and as a guy who played in the tournament back in 2009, talk about what it's like playing in a major and being a part of a PGA Championship. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, Really excited for my fellow club professionals to get the opportunity to play in that because it's really one of the treats that we have in our profession. And, uh, you know, they go through a grueling process of a couple qualifiers to get there, so they're so well uh, deserving of the opportunity to play. Um, you know, I think the big thing is, uh, as a club pro, you want to keep your expectations, uh, I wouldn't say down, but in check in the sense of enjoy the moment more than worrying about the results. I mean, everybody wants to play well. You make the cut, and I'm sure a couple guys will, but you're going to have those memories for a lifetime. So take your time. As they say, uh, smell the flowers and look around. I mean, it's just it's a great opportunity just to have a life-changing experience for many of them. Who were you paired with in 2009? In 2009, I had Matt Kuchar and Louis Eustazen, so a pretty wow. good pairing. Yeah. What's it like being inside the ropes and walking the golf course and being in a major with those two guys? You know, it's a lot of fun. I, I knew Matt beforehand, so that was pretty good. And 
I was fortunate to play a practice round on Monday with uh, Rory McIlroy and Louis Eustazen. So I already got to know Louis before the tournament. And uh, it's amazing how far back then uh, Louis hit it past Rory, which is very interesting. And we were walking up the ninth fairway, and, of course, I'm way back behind these guys. And uh, Louis was out there about 25 yards ahead of Rory. And Rory made the comment as we're walking up. He says, I don't hit a chart, but I can't believe how far this guy hits it. That <laughs> so was pretty interesting to see this kind of flip-flop over the years. <laughs> Were you nervous when you put you know put the tee in the ground on the first hole on Thursday, or did your experience like you played in a, pre, a U.S. Open previous to that? Were you prepared for what the what the nerves and the, the atmosphere was going to be like? Yeah, uh, honestly, I'm nervous, and, and I think almost everybody, whether they admit it or not, uh, anytime you're in a tournament, that first tee shot. It's more excitement than I would say nervous. Um, you know, the adrenaline, uh, the excitement, all all kind of coming in there, and you're trying to just compose yourself to tolerate it for the first, you know, shot. So it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't nervous. It was just excitement to be there, the fun. And I was just going to enjoy the day and enjoy the moment. So that really didn't, uh, the nerves didn't come into play for me there compared to probably the U.S. Open. I honestly don't remember back to 1993. <laughs> I'm too old for that. <laughs> Kevin, switching gears a little bit. And as you know, Strixon is a sponsor of the show, and I know you're a big fan of Strixon and Cleveland Golf Equipment. Talk about the impact that brand has had on your game. Yeah, I, you know, I was with uh, Cleveland Strixon uh, a while back, and then they went in a little different direction uh, company-wise, and then they got back together and. Fortunately, for the last couple of years, they tried to get me back on staff, um, but I'm pretty loyal to the companies I'm with, so I was always hesitant. Um, but I knew their product and uh, the customer service was top-notch. And last year, I made the decision that I really wanted to do it, not just because of uh, wanting to make any changes, because, it, honestly, the product performed better for me. Um, their irons, that new ZX iron is off the charts with the sole grind that allows you to play off all types of lies. Uh, the way the sole is designed in the heel and the toe, the little cutout, it gets through the grass so much easier, uh, much more consistency. You don't get any the heels catching or the toes catching. So my iron play has been uh, fantastic with it. And the new golf ball, uh, I just started using the Z Diamond. And uh, the control in the wind to me is the biggest thing that uh, the Strixon ball did. I do remember uh, being in Monterey, and I would take all the different companies' balls out, and I'd go out to the par five near the water in 15, and be wind from all different directions, different days, and I would test them thoroughly. You know, probably four or five different of the main companies' golf balls, and Circon literally was always the longest and straightest of them. I wasn't playing that ball at the time, um, but it got me thinking. Okay, I, the ball's a winner. I love the irons, you know, in the woods and everything's just been fantastic. And Kevin, speaking about the ZX irons, when you and I were communicating yesterday, you said you were out there trying to qualify for the U.S. Senior Open, and you were knocking down pins with the <laughs> irons and the golf ball. Talk about that. Yeah, it was an interesting day. Uh, I just missed a short putt for par, you know, just on a, on a second hole. The third hole was like 195 yards. Uh, par three into the wind a little bit, and I hit four iron. It hits the stick and bounced like 15 feet away. And then we get to like the 12th hole, and it was I'm like, geez, it'd be a nice time to have a hole in one. I told the kid caddying for me, and the ball uh, was 155 yards, but downhill. So I hit a pitching wedge, and it literally flew into the flag itself and fell down and you know rolled about maybe six feet away again. Um, but my iron play. I use a system called a decade system on uh, Scott Foss set, and I actually inputted my stats today to find out what it was, and strokes gained approach to the green, and they used it based on different handicaps if you want to. I always put mine against the uh, PGA Tour players just to see where you stack up. I gained five shots with my irons yesterday. Wow. And it, you know, yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. I probably had, seven birdie putts inside 12 feet and I hit 16 out of 18 green. So the irons have just been phenomenal for me. Let's talk about wedges. You also play Cleveland uh -huh. wedges. 
Talk about what sets those wedges apart for you. Yeah. The, the good thing is, um, honestly, they don't overcomplicate it. I mean, many companies have so many different grinds that you can pick from. They have some, and they got the full, the mid, and the low, so they're in there. But um, I was fortunate to work with a gentleman from Atlanta, Rob Waters, and uh, when I was in uh, Pebble Beach, and we gave me a, a lob wedge, and he was a full sole. And, and I was like, interesting, because I always played the cutoffs. And he's like, no, you want the forgiveness. And what happened is I have a sand wedge that has the uh, full sole but a lot of bounce. And the reason I like that in my sand wedge, that's 56 for me, is that I want a club that I'm not picking around the green based on the loft. I'm based on how does the club go through the ground. For instance, up here right now in the northeast, um, it was very wet. You know, you're coming out of spring, there's a lot of mud. Uh, you want to have a lot of bounce. So I'll use my 56 a lot, chipping off of the bad lies, uh, the soft lies, so the club doesn't dig into the ground. You don't have to worry about that. My 60 degree, I do have a lower bounce. I have eight degrees on it. And I just recently also switched to the full face uh, wedge, which to me has been fantastic because when you open the face a little bit, the tendency is for the club to kind of come across the ball a little bit or cut across it, as many people would think. And that allows the grooves on the end to give you a little bit more spin around the green. Uh, most of the guys on tour, you'll see around the greens, they hit the ball towards the toe a little because that allows you to put in more speed in the shot, but not have the ball go farther. The big advantage of doing that is when the ball hits the green, it has a lot more spin to it. So if you feel like you want to be more aggressive around the, the green, put the ball out towards the toe a little bit. Try to hit it out there. You'd be surprised how much more aggressive you can be, and you'll get more spin on the shots. So learning to use the wedges that way uh, in Cleveland gives us all the wedges that you can pick out, like the full so, full grind, no, excuse me, full face on my lob wedge. And in my 56, I use the standard uh, zip groove. And that combination just been great for the types of shots I like to play around the green. And Kevin, as you talked about bounce, I think that's something that confuses a lot of golfers. How to know how much bounce is right for not only for our swing, but as you mentioned, for the turf conditions that we play on regularly. How do we know or how should we go about choosing the wedge that has the right bounce for us? Great question. I think this is, to me, one of the most uh, overanalyzed uh, part of the game. And I think, like you said, it's made too complicated for the average person with all these choices. But if you came, came to yourself and you said, okay, I'm going to carry, say, three wedges or four. A lot of people are carrying four now because the pitching wedges have gotten so much stronger. They're like the nine irons I used to play when I grew up. So basically they're carrying a 50 degree gap wedge or something similar. Um, either like a, maybe a 54 or 56, I'd say is a sand wedge and then a 58 to 60 in a lob wedge. Now does the average person probably need a 60? Not necessarily. So that's another uh, debate there, but I like to see wedges. Uh, like I said, one, meaning my sand wedge with a lot of bounce, nice full sole that will give me out of soft, fluffy sand. So if you're on a course that has soft, fluffy sand, uh, if you're on a course that has uh, watered fairway, uh, a lot of times a lot more a wider sole and more bounce will be more beneficial. Uh, especially out of bunkers, the wide sole is the easiest one to, to perform out of there. Um, the lob wedge in the 60 or your lofted wedge, um, I'll use that obviously more on downhill lines because I got to pop the ball up higher. Uh, downhill line, a bunker, uh, coming out of high grass, just having to go very short, just pop it on the green, a flop shot over a bunker. Um, that club, I'll actually have less bounce, um, to allow me to play off those little downhill lies or a firm sand bunker. So, I mean, I play a lot of courses now up here, you know, obviously public courses and, you're going to get one bunker that has a lot of sand, one bunker that has a little bit of sand. And I had that yesterday down in uh, New York, and I got in the eighth hole. I had a bunker shot. It was very soft, so I grabbed my 56, which has more bounce. And then I got to the 18th hole, and the, the bunker got in. I felt how firm it felt, so I grabbed my lob weight to help me get the club to get under the ball more. So I think getting 
two different wedges with your most lofted wedge having the least amount of bounce if you're going to carry something more than just a basic sand wedge. And your sand wedge should have a lot of bounce. And that way, no matter where you play, you'll have versatility for the shot. And if you get two bounces, two clubs with the bounces that are exactly the same, you got the loft change, but you don't have two instruments. You're playing, you're playing golf with two forks. I want to have a fork and a spoon because you never know which one you're going to need to use. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, let's talk about chipping. Take us through club selection, stance, and ball position for when we're chipping around the green, when there isn't anything like a bunker or water that we have to hit over. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep it pretty simple in the sense of there are two ways to play it. And I think each person may have their preference of which way to do it. Um, the two schools, I'll just, and these are generalizations, and I'll get into a little bit of the technique part. The two schools are chip with one club and learn to manipulate it and develop the skills, or two, use all your clubs and use the one that the, the shot calls for. Um, I'm, I probably chip with about four or five different clubs, and it'll vary, you know, how, how low let some roll across the green. But if I said to you, I'm going to take one club all the time, as much as it's uh, simpler from a decision standpoint, it does take more technique and skills, and it's easier to kind of screw up. So around the greens, I'll make the student chip with all the clubs just to develop some, some feel and touch. So in order to use all the clubs, I'm going to teach them a basic technique of, say, I don't like the stance to be open for any reason. Pretty much just a square stance. They're going to play the ball in the middle of the stance. Yeah, even slightly forward, but I do not like a ball back. Um, that's generally what most people teach people. Put the weight on the left leg. They lean left. They get the handle forward. Now the club or the leading edge can get into the ground and dig. Um, it's a good way to play certain shots but it also is fraught with danger. And you see many people who chunk it or double hit a chip. They're hitting down a lot and their body feels that ground impact and then the shot's ruined. So by playing the ball in the middle or slightly more forward, uh, it gives you what I'm going to call a wider bottom, meaning my club is sliding level to the ground probably for 12 inches or so. I mean, it could be a little either way, but about 12 inches is level to the ground, just like a putter. And what you'll see from there is you'll be able to let the loft of the club dictate how far the ball flies and then figure out based on the conditions of the course you're playing how much it rolls out afterwards. So if someone went to the green, and I'd recommend go out with, say, an 8-iron, uh, go out with a pitching wedge, and then go out with your sand wedge or your lofted wedge and hit three shots with each, uh, with each of those clubs, trying to feel like a same type, just a, a putting action, if you want to call it, where there's not a lot of wrist in, just basically a putting action. You'll start to see consistency that your seven iron carries, say, four yards, depending on, obviously, the length of the swing. Your pitching wedge will carry 10 yards. Your sandwich may carry 15, but they may end up in the same place because they're all going to roll different uh, amounts. And that's the ability when you get to the course, well, I got to carry it up 10 feet to get on the green, I can use this club. And learning these little things really helps uh, people pick the right clubs and score a lot better versus take the sand wedge all the time, put it back in your stance, and, and try to hit down on it. So I'd say play the ball in the middle of your stance or slightly forward. Keep your hands even with the ball or the, the club basically lined up with your zipper. And then from there, feel like you're making a, a basically a putting motion. Um, there's a tremendous uh, teaching aid that I use a lot, and I just left with my friend in New Jersey because we're supposed to be taking a trip this weekend. Uh, it's called Flight Golf, F-L-Y-T Golf. And it's basically almost like a cast on your user for your right arm. They make it both arms, but I'm a right-handed golfer. You put it on your right arm, and it restricts a lot of the right wrist hinging and allows you to be what we call wide and sweepy or wide and shallow. And you can come into the ball and your club slides, like you said, for 12 inches. You have a huge margin of error uh, when you do it that way. So uh, that's one training aid that I honestly believe that uh, almost everybody should have. And you really start to see a huge improvement in your chipping because you won't have inconsistent contact 
where the club is hitting the ground. Kevin, does any of that change if the course has been tightly mowed and we have a tight lie? So does any of that ball position, stance, anything change when we have that type of lie that we have to deal with? Yeah, that tight lies uh, scare most people, especially tight lies into the green. Um, but if I took my wedge, and I always use this as a demonstration when I'm, I'm doing a clinic, uh, I'll put my wedge on the ground, say two feet behind the ball, and I'll always ask people, can I chunk the ball from here? Can I dig the club into the ground? And they're like, no, the club's already on the ground. I said, exactly. From there, I just slide the club along the ground, and the leading edge or the bottom of the club gets underneath the equator of the ball. It pops up every time. However, most people get on those tight lines. They get so scared, uh, they move the ball back, and then they, they think to bang down on it. or they, It's just like the nerves of trying to help the ball up into the air when you don't need to. All you got to do is slide the club under the ball. Um, you can take a good way to practice this. Is to just take a quarter. Um, they also make some a little chipping disc, like even a poker chip, something like that. And practice just chipping and trying to hit the uh, the little disc at a quarter without digging into the grass. Uh, that's all you're trying to do. That will get the club under the equator of the ball. That's all you need to do off the tightest of lies. And the golf clubs are designed for that, but our mind thinks that we either have to help it up or I've got to hit the ball first, the old school technique, play it back and chop down. So to me, on the tight lies, I don't do it a whole lot differently. I don't play the ball back. Um, I play the ball still forward. I probably move it a little bit more forward on the tight lies than I do on the others, unless I'm trying to make the ball roll out more. Kevin, let's go all the way back to the tee, because one of the things that was drilled into my head as a young golfer was to swing easily and let the club do the work. Now players are swinging out of their shoes. When you're starting out with a, whether it's a beginner or a young player, has the philosophy changed? Or are we just talking about guys swinging out of their shoes or ladies swinging out of their shoes at the elite level? No, it's definitely changed uh, all over the elite level. See, the difference is in most people, this distance debate about rolling the ball back, the average person is screaming like it's going to cost them a lot of yardage. The way the new clubs are designed, and I think that's the biggest thing, is chicken chicken or the egg debate, the ball or the club, I don't know. All I know is the golf ball uh, rebounds faster. So say take the new drivers, and they got what they call, as you know, the trampoline effect. Guys like Tiger in his prime. Uh, you see Bryson DeChambeau now. The faster you swing the head, the more the club head be- becomes a trampoline. Now, I remember when, uh, when I was doing some seminars, they were talking about one of the tour players was all happy when the Pro V1 came out. And he gained seven yards. He goes, look, I'm I'm driving seven yards further. But the guys that he was compared against, they gained 15 yards. So he net lost eight. And because he didn't have the speed to make that club uh, trampoline. Um, When I grew up and you grew up, though, we grew up with small wooden heads. We had the Balata golf balls that spun a lot. And there you had to hit the middle or you would hit it. 60 yards offline, very simply. The, the clubs today are very difficult to hit, extremely offline for the or curve offline for the tour players. So they all stand up and with the giant sweet spots, they just let it go. So I think the equipment has led to that being happening, and now everybody plays graphite shafts. Um, so those are another two inches, and some are even like four, almost 46 inches now as standard compared to the 43 that uh, you and I probably grew up with. Kevin, before I let you go, I got to get a pick from you for the PGA Championship this week. Who do you like? Oh, that's that's like the million-dollar question. I guess I could throw darts out there. Um, You know, it's going to be interesting because it's been redone. And speaking of redone, uh, I wanted to tell you, you just had, the, to me, the best course designer on in your show, Mr. Bergen. He is Phenomenal. I've been fortunate to play a few of his redos, and, and I don't hand out those types of uh, compliments lightly when it comes to golf courses all the time. But, yeah, his stuff is phenomenal, and it was great to listen to him. Um, is a pick. Uh, you know what? I'm going to be – and I don't like to 
trying to pick the favorites by any means, but I think the game of John Rahm is so solid. His driving of the golf ball is impeccable, um, and his putter starting to get hot again. So, to me, he's just tough to beat. I mean, I think he's clearly the best player in the world. I mean, Scotty Shetler is phenomenal, um, but I think Tita Green and consistency-wise, day in, day out, John Rahm is right now the best player on tour. Kevin, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can we stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's out there on social media? Yeah, I'm on social media. I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter, Kevin Roman Golf. Um, you know, doing some teaching up here in New York. So if somebody needs something, you can just contact me that way. Uh, I'm doing some golf schools. I got to go a couple places throughout the country this year to do some golf schools, which I enjoy. Um, but other than that, just playing a lot of golf and enjoying the family. Kevin, it's always great having you back as part of the show, my friend. Uh, I miss having you here. I hope I get the privilege of catching up with you again real soon. No, I'd, I'd love to do that again, and I, I may be coming down there in the end of June, so I'll look you up if I get down there. I hope you will. Kevin, stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you, Chris. You're the best. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. You're awesome. I'll see you. Bye-bye. That is the great Kevin Roman, my friends, and he's just an absolutely fantastic instructor, and as you heard, an even better person. Kevin's fantastic, and you know what a great player he is on top of that because you don't get an opportunity to play in two majors, the 93 U.S. Open at Baltus World, the 2009 PGA Championship, without being a fantastic player. And as you heard Kevin say, you have to go through qualifying just to get there, so that tells you what a great player Kevin is. But he's a fantastic guy, and I really look forward to hearing more about his uh, attempt to get into the U.S. Senior Open and having him back as part of the show again real soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Bill Bergen and Kevin Roman for joining me tonight. Next week, folks, I'll be out on the road, so the show will return again on Tuesday, May 31st. And scheduled to join me that night are LPGA legend Jane Blaylock will be back. The host of Grilling at the Green, Jeff Tracy, will join me. Jeff has become a wonderful friend. His show is fantastic. He's another one of the great people that you get to meet through social media, in this case, Twitter. So I'm really looking forward to having Jeff as part of the show. And then we'll round out the show with a return visit from Golf Channel host Damon Hack. Very excited to have Damon back as part of the show. He's just a fantastic individual. I'm really looking forward to having him here with me as well. So it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcast app out there, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast.co, Audioboom, Player.fm, Podbean. Folks, if you've got a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on it. Please check out our website nextonthetee.net to see what our upcoming guest schedule looks like. Plus, we've got links for you right there for our recent episodes and individual guest segments as well. So whether you've got 20 minutes or two hours, we've got great content on there for you. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I know you've got a lot of podcasts out there to choose from. I am very thankful for the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee one of them. Until next time. Hit him straight, my friends.
This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.